Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Andrew and Andrew on Texas Criminal Defense. I'm Andrew Harris. Joining me via Zoom today is Andrew Decker. What's up, man? Good afternoon, Mr. Harris. Well, it's uh, almost, well, according to the calendar when this drops, Happy New Year. Uh, yes. When I'm recording it, it is almost Christmas. It is about to be really, really cold here in the Central Texas area. And um, I'm going to read a lot of files during the next few days. Why? Because I've got to get ready for January. Oh, January is going to be crazy. I was looking at your calendar. My gosh, man. Yeah, mine mine will be crazy <laughs> as well. Um, mine, mine will be a little bit nuts, but I, I think you've got like multiple trials set. I mean, you're hitting the ground running very early in the year. Well, one of those trials has already been moved. So, oh, okay. You know. All right. Well, good. Um, yeah. And actually, you know, this week's a little bit slow, but I just love how some of these judges are like how many judges really want to schedule like a Wednesday afternoon docket, like the Wednesday before, <laughs> before Christmas, everybody's going to be leaving on Thursday and it's just kind of nuts to me, but you know, Hey, I have a set. I have a setting on the 30th of December. Yeah. I've got some next week after this was, of course, this is, uh, we're, we're recording before Christmas, but I've got some between Christmas and new year's. Yep. Um, but it's a good thing that you are hitting the ground running early in January. This this episode is going to be very relevant for you, especially because you've got some real legal work coming up. Sometimes, sometimes, sometimes I have. Sometimes we do we do that. And so today we are talking with Javier Martinez, attorney down in Houston. Hello, Javier. How are you, sir? Hey, guys, how you doing? And happy new year to all your listeners. Hey, Happy New Year. Thank you very much. And thanks for being on the show. And today you're going to talk with us about legal writing. Yes, the very interesting topic of legal writing. We'll try to make it <laughs> as entertaining as we can. That's for sure. It it will no doubt uh, be very entertaining. You know why? Because it's just it's somebody else other than Andrew and I talking about it. Yeah, yeah. So well, first of all, Javier, you, you sent us, you know, kind of your points and we'll go through them. I think it was outstanding. I think these, this is going to be outstanding information. Um, even if people just kind of take your bullet points and go, this is a great outline for what I need to do when I sit down to write a brief or a memo or a motion to the court. Yeah. It, yeah. I think our list is going to get a lot of great ideas on like how to how to really construct their argument, like think about the framing, how to construct it. Um, yeah, I think it's going to be great. But first things first, Javier, tell us how, like, why did you become a lawyer? How did you end up doing criminal defense? And how did you end up in Houston? All that kind of stuff. Yeah, so uh, I, I live in Houston here with my wife, who is a Harris County public defender. And uh, we actually just celebrated uh, our two-year-old's birthday. And like Congrats. she said, it was, it was her happy day, happy day. So uh, it, was a, it was good. So we live here and we're actually expecting our second child at the end of January. So wonderful, very exciting times in the Martinez household. These uh, are times of great anticipation. I know it's like the, we're like venturing into the unknown. We dealt with one kid now, but the second kid is a little bit unknown to us. So hopefully yeah. we'll hopefully we'll figure it out. Um, but I got in. You know, I got into law 
by accident, actually. I uh, I am a failed baseball player at heart. I <laughs> I played uh, high school baseball and I played baseball my entire life. And, you know, I, I thought I was good enough to earn a, a scholarship at a at a junior college. And but once I got to junior college, I realized I was too slow. I was too skinny and I couldn't hit the inside fastball. Uh, so I figured I need to do something else. So that's when I started really trying to blind myself to, to schoolwork. And I transferred to UT and at UT, my roommate, uh, who was my roommate my entire time there, his dad was actually the elected DA down in Webb County where I'm from. So, you know, I, I didn't know what to do. And I said, look, I mean, is your dad hiring? Do you think he'll hire me? And what he said was like, I thought he was going to say, yeah, sure enough. But he's like, why don't you send him your resume and see what he thinks? So, so I, <laughs> I got my resume ready and uh, he he interviewed me and I got a job at the Webb County DA's office. And that really changed my life. I, I, I worked with a lot of great prosecutors uh, who were, who are still my friends to this day. And, and I was just a, a college student at that point, but you know, I, I mentioned to them that I may have an interest in, in in law, so they really took me under their wing, and and I I thought I found the work uh, was fascinating. Uh, so after that, uh, I applied to law school, uh, got in at South Texas College of Law in Houston, and but the problem in, in Houston at the time was that the Harris County DA's office was not having paid interns. Uh, so I couldn't, I couldn't work for free in the summer. So I said, well, I'll go to the next best thing. Uh, and that's how I started doing, uh, I applied to a bunch of criminal defense law firms and was lucky enough to earn a position, uh, with David Byers and, and Kent Schaefer, two great lawyers. Great lawyers. Yeah. You're, you're name dropping there, man. Oh, am I? I'll try to stop. Well, I'll tell no. you the, the, the name drop. Uh, that that is more relevant, I think, is when I was looking for criminal defense jobs, I just cold emailed lawyers. I went on Google and I went, okay, who are the best criminal defense lawyers? And, you know, I sent resumes. At the time, I, I didn't really know who they were, but like Dick DeGaron and Racehorse Haynes, I had no idea. It sounds more like a mafia meeting than a bunch of attorneys. <laughs> and, and of course they rejected me because I, you know, I didn't have the best grades, uh, but I was very fortunate enough to to earn, you know, this clerkship with Kent and David. And uh, I haven't looked back, back since. Dude. Uh, yeah. Those are, those are, um, that's great training. That's like, reminds me of kind of Decker's uh, training when, when he was, uh, had just gotten his bar card with some of like the bigger names in, in Fort Worth. Um, those are two legendary attorneys. So that's great, man. That's great luck. And, uh, you know, Hey, we are as a profession, we are, we are happy to have you certainly, uh, raising the bar for us over here. It almost <laughs> makes me wonder like what exactly Decker's doing, you know, with his career. So, um, um my name's now on that door where I clerked. So, uh, it's you, Mr. Barrett, that needs to step up. My name's on my door because I paid for it to be there. Whatever. So, um, all right. Well, yeah, that's great. Uh, Javier, I didn't know that you actually had to be like, you know, in shape and hit hit uh, sliders and all that to be a good uh, baseball player. He's inside balls. 
whatever. Yeah. Well, when you're like 150 and you're playing against six people that are six two, uh, <laughs> that's a big difference. And I just, I after one year, I said, oh well, can't uh, do it. Yeah. I thought it was good, but no. Yeah. It seems well, to have worked out. My dream job, if I could just do anything and be paid for it, it would be to be the public address announcer for the Texas Rangers. I know you're probably Astros fan, but that would be my dream job. I would give up everything else to do that. Yeah, that's that would be such a fun job. Mine would be, you know, some sort of mid-level GM with the Astros or anywhere else. Not not like the big spot, but just, you know, somewhere in the middle. Yeah, yeah, cool. Well, let's actually get to our topic. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'm fascinated about your baseball career just because I love sports. Um, but you're, you, you actually, like I said, sent us some great points on uh, legal writing. Um, and the first one you said is know your audience. What do you mean by that, Javier? What do you mean know your audience? Yeah, so this is probably the most fun part for me. Uh, when it when it comes to legal writing, because you can also you can be an investigator almost when you're trying to figure out who your audience is. And it in in Harris County, well, there's a bunch of district judges, there's a bunch of county court law judges actually knowing who's going to be reading uh, your brief and trying to figure out, are they a former prosecutor? Are they a former uh, public defender, defense attorney? Do they have some sort of track record about how they deal with with the certain motion that you're going to present uh you know on westlaw now you can go and search you know the judge's name and, and you know what what is their track record have they been reversed have have they been affirmed on the particular issue that that you're going to litigate uh so i i find just to give myself peace of mind i like to go through that also asking colleagues uh, you know, other defense lawyers going on the listserv, the Harris County uh, Criminal Lawyers Association, just trying to figure out uh, what your audience is going to be. The the really fun one is in in federal court, you know, they get to write a lot more. Uh, the federal judges, the federal district judges get to write a lot more. And what I like to do is read through their opinions that they have written in the past and finding out what their particular writing style is, what is their judicial philosophy, for example. You know, now in Houston, uh, there's a lot of uh, federal judges who were appointed by President Trump. So those tend to be more on the Federalist Society. So, you know, how do they interpret uh, regulations or, or, or cases uh, and trying to play to that audience because you know, those are the people that are going to be deciding your case. So I like to get as much background information on them as I can. You know, I've gone as far as uh, reading their judicial questionnaire that they submit to the Senate. Uh, have they written on a certain topic in the past, pulling that paper, uh, just so that I can get a sense of how I need to draft my motion or, or whatever it is. So when you go about finding um, their judicial questionnaire, how where do you even go to get that? Yeah, so I just uh, I, I Google and then the Senate Judiciary Committee uh, just has them. They they go back as far as I don't I don't know how far I've gone, but you know just a simple Google search and the Senate Judiciary Senate Judiciary Committee uh, can pull it up and the questionnaires will tell you how many jury trials the person that, that judge has had either as a judge or as a litigator. 
So you kind of know where, what you're working with if you're going to try the case. Uh, it'll tell you other decisions that they have decided. It, it asks a question, something like list the five top significant decisions that you have presided over or tried. And they list a case number and all that. So I'll go back and read through that to see how they decided a, a particular issue. And just so that I know that I, you know, I like to control what I can control. And so I, so I have that background information uh, ready to go, whether it's at a hearing, but mostly when I'm writing, I know how, well, I try to know how this person thinks. Aerith, I think that Javi puts more time into researching the judge than you and I do into a case. <laughs> don't, hey man, don't tell people that. <laughs> <laughs> Most of these people pay good money for that. Um, all right. So the next, the next point you put down, um, on here is the one page rule. Uh, now, most of the time when I'm writing, it's going to be a lot more than one page. So tell us what, what that means, the one page rule. Yeah. So I try to, I, I just, I have this tendency to, to just not put stuff that's not necessary in the one page, because I imagine that, you know, whether it's a state court judge or a federal judge, their attention span is like anybody else's just because they're judges doesn't mean that, you know, they don't have other stuff going on or their phones ringing or emails or whatever it is. So I try to put uh, my strongest facts, uh, the best law and the requested relief, if I can, in the first page. I mean, usually it goes for about a page and a half, but I try that to be it's almost like precious real estate to me you know, that first page should tell the judge what your argument is going to be and what relief you are requesting. Um, I actually, I stole this from somebody else, but I was listening to uh, another defense lawyer podcast. It wasn't a, as good as this one, but it was another, <laughs> it was another <laughs> lawyer podcast. And they had the, uh, the chief judge of the 11th circuit on there and he he was on Trump's shortlist for the Supreme Court, and he's a very good writer. And what he said was, and it kind of stuck with me, he's like, put the sex appeal in the first sentence. And it's almost like, and when I look at legal writing, my first page or the first line in a motion, it's almost what comes out of my mouth first during an opening statement at trial. It's sort of like, what do I want the judge to take away from from this brief or from this uh, motion. And I think one of the things that that I don't do that I think the best advice that I've gotten is a lot of times with, with motions, you start with comes now the defendant represented by so and so and there's like you've wasted like about half a page. but <laughs> you, but if if you put some the first line, for example, I'll just give an example from a recent motion. It's like the government has violated the defendant's right to a speedy trial under the Sixth Amendment. Well, that tells the judge where you're going with this. <clears throat> and it could also be, you know, I do a lot of sentencing memorandums. And, you know, what is your theme, your essential theme of your sentencing memorandum going to be? And, you know, some that I've used in the past, somebody that has a difficult childhood, I'll just put Mr. So-and-so is lucky to be alive and then go through the rest of your argument or Mr. So-and-so has not lived an ordinary life. 
to sort of highlight and pinpoint uh, what the theme of your paper is going to be. So, so have you had any judges push back and say, hey, this isn't in the right form? I, I have not. And, and I think that I think that goes into the knowing your audience uh, portion of it. You know, if you have a, a very formal old school uh, judge, I, then that, that may be uh, something that you want to do a little bit more formal. But, you know, I've done I've been doing this since I started kind of putting good emphasis on trying to be a better writer. I've been doing it for two or three years and I've never had had any pushback on the on the opposite side of that. I've had judges read back to me what my first sentence in my memorandum was or, you know, kind of confront the government on, wait, but, you know, he's had a terrible life. You know, why do you want the high end of the guidelines or why do you want a, a non guideline sentence on that? So I think that and, and I think for the most part, I th because there's a lot of briefing, there's a lot of work. I think judges appreciate clarity and the motion being concise, uh, but I, I haven't had any pushback <coughs> yet, at least. That's cool. Yeah. Cool. And, uh, you know, one thing, um, Javier, you and I were talking about, you know, we've had a Harris County judge on the show before. And one of the things uh, Judge Wright said during our interview was, you know, a lot of attorneys just won't answer a question from a judge on the bench. They do, you know, it's just kind of like they talk around it. They're scared to answer it in, in case like the answer doesn't is not great for their client or whatever. Um, and so that kind of reminds me, like, get to the point, like hit, use that, highlight that issue immediately, because I think you're right. Like judges sometimes just get tired of lawyers just, you know, talking BS, you know, just just talking like a lawyer uh, just annoys so many people, especially lawyers. Yeah, and I think that I think I think that that that's a that's a real good point. And just being being I mean, you don't being direct, not being rude or anything like that, but being direct uh, is certainly is certainly ho uh, helpful. So you just talked about putting that important piece first, putting it on the front page, being brief, and then your next one is use some fluff language from from famous opinions. Tell us how that how do those go together? Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, the, it's a, the practice of law is almost plagiarism. Sometimes, you know, you, you got, indeed, <laughs> yeah, you get from, uh, you know, people that write better than I do people that think better than I do that are smarter than I am. Um, but I think that, you know, if you have, and, and if you have sort of a Miranda issue, well, what I'll, sometimes what I'll do is like, I'm going to go back and read Miranda v. Arizona and see if there's anything there that's going to help me and maybe drop it uh, maybe at the last, you know, uh, paragraph of of your of your one page. And what I mean by one page, really what I mean is that's your introductory section to your brief. Now, you, you can go on after that with the analysis, but the one page rule is really um, that should be the focus, you know, it. it written 15 20 page uh briefs but um you know that that's it's almost like a uh statement of the facts statement of the argument that you do in appellate briefs but but the fluff language you know there's there's really good language out there from famous supreme court opinions that you can that that you can use i mean it's one thing if i say 
you know, this is outrageous conduct. But if I can cite to it, you know, the Supreme Court says it is, um, you know, I, I think that that makes your paper a little more persuasive. Of course. Yeah, I can certainly uh, see the judges that I appear in front of finding anything, any Supreme Court justice has said a lot more persuasive than anything I have to say. Yeah, and especially, you know, and I, what I've done, going back to knowing your audience and who the judge is, well, if you have somebody that's, you know, was a member of the Federalist Society, well, I'm not going to be quoting Ruth Bader Ginsburg to them. Yeah, I just, that's just not something that's going to click with them. But if I, if I can find something from Scalia, Gorsuch, some of the judges on the Fifth Circuit, I think that'll go a, a more, it'll go a long way with them, at least I think. Right. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. So when we, you know, a lot of times, like you said, like, uh, you know, we're writing maybe some briefs or um, uh, briefs in support of like motion to suppress or anything like that. Um, you actually put, we'll put some illustrations and charts and photographs within some of your writing. How, how do you incorporate that and tell us some of the, the benefits of that? Yeah, so I, I think... Yeah, everybody's I'm a visual learner. I learn more by by looking at the pictures than just reading a whole bunch of words. Um, so, you know, if it, if you have a motion to suppress and and you're alleging that your client was in custody and they didn't read him as Miranda rights. Well, sometimes I'll put sort of a snapshot of the body cam where it's my client in handcuffs surrounded by five cops. Well, that kind of tells the story a little a little better than me saying it you know, in three or four sentences. So I'll actually take a screenshot of that and put it in the actual motion. Or sometimes what I'll do is make charts if I'm trying to convey to the judge that maybe these co-defendants are more culpable than my client. Um, you know, I'll kind of, I'll do a hierarchy and that kind of tells the story a little better than just kind of writing it out uh, in a paragraph. Or if you have, you know, a preset, uh, a PSI hearing or or a sentencing hearing, you know, attaching photographs of the client working, the client with, with his family during charity work, and I think it's a little better to put those photographs in the motion itself than attaching it as an exhibit, uh, because you know they're kind of reading along, and looking at the photographs as 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 they're working their way through your motion I yeah i love cheap. that i love that point yeah especially when you talk about like trying to humanize your client to the judge um i think that's uh that's a great point and i think you can also i you can do them in motions but i know i don't know how it is in in, in tarrant county but we do a lot of grand jury presentations and, you know, right before we hope, we hope to do grand jury presentations again soon. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, so you do that in, in grand jury presentations. Yeah. And, you know, attach pictures of either a piece of evidence that I want to highlight or, um, you know, pictures of the family is a good guy. No, no criminal history. Also mitigation packets, pretrial diversion. Uh, yeah. letters to get the client pretrial diversion. <laughs> yeah, I, like to, I like to 
kind of include all of that within the motion, not necessarily as an exhibit, <clears throat> just in the motion. I think it probably flows a little better. I've been fairly successful with um, with some uh, mitigation packets, like prior to a case being indicted, um, presenting that to the uh, intake attorney, and you know, getting some kind of alternate resolution out of it. Um, so that 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 does help. Um, but yeah, like as Andrew said, in Tarrant County, we haven't been able to do grand jury uh, presentations um, unless the defendant is testifying. Uh, which, you know, is not something uh, that's something I rarely would ever recommend. But we have a we do have a new DA taking office in January. So we shall see if uh, what's going to change with that, if anything. Right. Yeah, that's interesting. because It's a good way of getting rid of a bad case. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So, yeah, it sure is. Talking like a person. Yeah. What do you mean by that? Well, it's kind of like... Uh, Judge Wright was saying uh, on your podcast, you know, the legalese and um, all that is tends to be confusing. Um, just say talk, talk like a person. Don't talk like a lawyer. I think as lawyers, we take ourselves too seriously sometimes. Yeah. Uh, so, so I think that just conveying your point and not dancing around it uh, is good. Accepting bad facts it's okay to it's a, I this is something that I've struggled with now just accepting the bad facts and either distinguishing them or or saying they're they're inaccurate or whatever it is um I think that that'll get you some some credibility uh with the court or with the prosecutor yeah yeah, for sure. Um you know I I think uh, a lot of our colleagues and and certainly I'm guilty of this as well as, you know, I've paid a lot of money for this, uh, education. I really want to impress people, um, with it, but yeah, it just, it rarely, um, trying to, to talk overeducated, uh, rarely gets the uh, desired result. Well, we have to remember that the average newspaper, before, you know, when there were still were newspapers was written at a fifth grade level. So if we're talking at a JD level, we are missing most the audience. Yeah, and it's and it's kind of, you know, when if you really think about legal writing, it's not much different than from trying a case or presenting facts uh, to a jury. There, yeah, there's a little bit more formality to it, but the main points are really the same. You know, start strong, end strong have a good structure of your argument. Uh, and it, I don't think that it should be that much different when you're presenting the facts to the judge as you're presenting them uh, to the jury and just simplifying legal concepts. I think, you know, I, I just, I just think it helps everybody. It helps the judge and it may convince the prosecutor to, you know, not move forward or, or drop the case. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, uh, yeah, and I, yeah, like you said, I think speaking candidly really um, opens up another person uh, more than trying to sound like a jerk. Uh, which, when I when I try to sound smart, that's what I sound like. Sound uh, agreed. Like, <laughs> Me too. Uh, indubitably. So, all right. So, Javier, you, you know, you just told us 
you know, you, you clerked when you were a law student for, with some like two legendary attorneys in Harris County. I mean, you have learned from the greats, so to speak. And that's just happens to be your next point here. Um, as far as like legal writing, like tell us what can we do? How can we stand on the shoulders of, of much better um, attorneys? Uh, how can we learn from the greats like that? Yeah, you know, I I was I was so lucky and, and fortunate to be able to have, you know, those mentors and continue to have them as mentors or friends, but you know, I think much like we are told to you know, go watch other trials, go watch other people cross-examine, go watch them make an opening statement. It's not any different from from legal writing, really. You know, I, what I like to do is is look at read some of the briefs from some other great attorneys around the state. You know, we're we're fortunate to have so many great attorneys in the state of Texas. So sometimes I'll I'll pop in if I have a particular issue. I'll I'll try to to read something that they have written in the past. And again, Westlaw or or whatever other research thing you have is is your best friend there because it'll it'll show up if you Google. You know, a- Andrew Harris motion to suppress, you know, got granted and you kind of read that or, or whatever it is. Um, so I, I like to read other people's briefs just to get kind of see what kind of style they have, what was what was effective. Uh, and I think also I like to read other judges opinions, you know, because ultimately that's your audience. So the way that they like to write, uh, you know, I mentioned the the judge from the 11th Circuit, but the Fifth Circuit and the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals has some some great writers like Judge Newell is a great writer um, in the Court of Criminal Appeals. And yeah, there's some other, you know, Fifth Circuit judges, Judge Costa, who's not in the Fifth Circuit anymore, but uh, he's a great writer. So I like to kind of see what is it that you know what they're writing. You'll, you know, maybe get a uh, a case site from it uh, or or an or an idea. Um, I also like to, what I do, I have this folder on my Dropbox that's just federal research. And I'll just, if I see something that I like, I just save it. And maybe it helps sometime later if the issue comes up. So I like to save a lot of stuff that that I've read and um, that interests me. Yeah, well said. Yeah, makes sense. Um, so your next piece is, and I think this kind of, circles back to earlier one of you said don't be a jerk uh you suggest don't be the angry lawyer i think i come off as angry way too often explain explain how you avoid that yeah i mean i've i got that advice from 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 somebody and i think that sometimes i get too worked up and if i know that the police officer or whoever you know, violated the Fourth Amendment, Fifth Amendment, whatever it is, I'll try to kind of bash him almost. Uh, and I, I don't think people are are very receptive to that. I think you can state the facts as they are. Uh, I think where I have a tendency to uh, kind of be the angry lawyer is in reply briefs. Like, you know, I'll write a brief, they write a reply brief, and then they say, oh, he's all wrong. And then I try to respond and uh, not any personal attacks, but use, you know, uh, bad language, I guess, you know, he's, a, he's a liar, untruthful, whatever it is. And I, I've learned that, uh, I got that advice from, from somebody, 
uh, professionally is like, just don't be the angry lawyer. Uh, you can be, you can disagree with, uh, with their argument. Uh, but I think a more measured, uh, reasonable approach is, is better. And if the other side attacks you or your argument in some way, I think just a measured response is, is better than kind of engaging in, in, you know, whatever it is that they're trying to bait you to. Yeah, yeah, I um I, I get in trouble with this. Um uh, not not necessarily when I'm writing, but like if I have a resolution on a case where I think everybody wins a little bit and a prosecutor is like, No, we're not gonna do that, and it's like for a totally arbitrary reason. I I tend to like I don't know if it's taking it personally, but I get really upset about it. And I I kind of start throwing a tantrum. Um and it it never really uh it always uh, it always kind of bites me in the ass, you know? So, uh, so, so it's kind of the same thing. Like, you know, don't be the angry lawyer. Don't take it personally. Um, you know, I had a judge tell me once in a hearing, like, Mr. Harris, you, you have to trust me to make this decision. Like you can't, I, I think I was complaining about a CASA worker and he's like, don't, don't you trust that I see that they're being really petty and unfair? Like it's okay like the the judge, if they if somebody else is writing like a reply brief, and it's just a little you know childish and it gets under your skin, don't you think like the impar an impartial judge is going to read that and say, "Yeah, it's kind of BS, man." You know that's that's a that's a bad pool there. You know, so I mean that's that's a great piece of advice and one I really need to uh, take to heart. I think you're absolutely right, and I so one time a. I was very surprised. A federal prosecutor called me disingenuous and that got under my skin. And I, Oh, that would piss me off. Oh, and, yeah. and I, and I got, a, I saw it, the reply came in like at six 30 PM and I saw it, I read it. I got my laptop out and I started typing and my wife's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, well, this guy, you know, called me disingenuous. And she's like, put it away, take the day you know, take the night The nobody's going to read your reply at seven or 8 PM, you know, sure enough, woke up the next morning. And I'm like, you know, that was petty. And the judge will see that I don't need to engage in that, but I'm, I'm just sort of right away. I'm trying to, I'm figuring out a way to respond. And sometimes I just need to, to put it away and let it sit there for, um, you know, a day or two and, and see if I'm, if I still feel strongly about it, I will, but most of the time it just kind of, it kind of goes away. That's just so, great advice in general, like getting a bad email or like having an upset client, like just, why don't you just take the day, just take, take the day, take a break, step away and see if it really like upsets you the next day or whatever. Um, so and I, I don't well, mean to cut you off, Andrew, I was a civil attorney and civil attorneys, I think are really bad about this. Um, I was called vainglorious in a, in, in a motion uh, or a <laughs> reply to a motion that I filed. And it was one of those things where I'm like, I had to go look it up. Like, what the hell is this guy talking about? I don't uh, even so, know what that anyways, means. What does that mean? I know. I don't, it is a word, vainglorious. I don't know. I don't know. And I really don't know the context of what he was trying to say, but I'm like, okay, Mr. S Mr. Uh, civil attorney. Yeah. Mr. Decker, I interrupted you, sir, please. Yeah, no worries. No worries. So th just this Tarrant County, half of our judiciary is retiring this year. Um, and one of them, Judge Thomas, uh, at his reception, one of the younger judges said that the advice that Judge Thomas gave him when when he was taking the bench was never make a ruling 
Never do a sentencing while you're angry. And Judge Thomason responded to that and said, there have been times where I've said, we're going to be in recess. And he said, I went in my office just to breathe it out for 15 minutes before I made the ruling or before I did the sentencing. He said, and sometimes I waited till the next day. I said, we're going to be in recess till tomorrow. For that same reason, he didn't want to be unjust to to a defendant, primarily because he was mad. Um, but but as lawyers, we will we will we will tear into somebody because we're hot and it not do our client any benefit, and it makes us look whatever being glorious means. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it gets our it gets our blood pressure up, which kind of ties into our last podcast for the holiday episode. Like it just it really does nothing but makes us very tired and burn out as attorneys trying to help our clients. So that's just great, yeah. great advice all the way around. So so the last piece of advice you gave uh, us, Javier, and I think this one is incredibly important. You say hire good law clerks to help you do research and then make sure you read and edit your paper. I take it you do that more than once. Yeah. And I have, I have other people. I have several people. I, of course I'm lucky because my wife's a defense attorney, but you know, she'll, she'll read it and she'll make suggestions. And, you know, after a while, if you read it so much, it kind of, you're kind of glossing over the sentences I feel like, cause you know what it's going to say. Um, but really hiring good law clerks is, has sort of made my practice that much better uh, because if it's one thing that law clerks can do is, is research. So a lot of the things that, you know, I've talked about, about knowing your audience, they do a fair share of that. Cause that takes a lot of time. Uh, you know, I'll read the material they bring, but sometimes, you know, they'll look through every opinion that that judge has written or, uh, and read through it and and sort of give me a summary of what it is or where the case is so so I can do it. Uh, and they, you know, they have spent the last year, at least one else, they have spent the last year, you know, doing reading cases and, and doing research and writing. Um, so they they helped me a lot with that. And it's been really helpful. I really don't have a lot of complaints about that. Um but they can do a bulk of uh, of some of the research or the background research of knowing your audience and looking through every case. And, you know, I think the law clerks that I hire are 1L, so they're eager to learn. Um, they they really want to do a good job. And, you know, it's different than doing tax law. No offense to anybody that does tax law, but you're reading criminal opinions and you're talking, you know, researching on federal judges and you're talking about Fourth Amendment issues, Fifth Amendment issues, um, but having them help uh, is great because they have, you know, I still have a practice to run, uh, but all they can do is, is research and, and brief cases. Um, and I think that I've found uh, that to be uh, very helpful. Well, and it gives Certainly. them an opportunity to learn, to use some of those skills and develop them a little better uh, for, for their practice and for their resumes. Right. Yeah, no, I, I've uh, and and it's it's good with one else. They come in, they don't know what they're doing and or even not that they want to do. They don't know what they want to do as far as, you know, going to criminal law or civil law. And, you know, sometimes at the end of it, they come back it's like, hey, I think I want to do criminal defense, which I think just makes our our profession better. That, that's a good point. 
Cool. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I, I like the idea of one, I mean, it's kind of multifaceted. It, it eases your workload. It helps, like I said, other attorney or um, younger attorneys. Um, you know, it just, I don't know. It just, there's a lot of efficiency built into uh, kind of delegating the uh, researching, maybe even like, you know, at least a framework of an argument off to uh, some more inexperienced, eager to learn um, baby lawyers. Yeah. And usually what it, what I'll do is I'll give them an outline of what I think the argument should be. And, you know, cause I have it in, in my head or whatever it is, and then they'll dig in and they'll come back and, you know, give a brief on it. And then, you know, they'll go back and we go back and forth. Um, so it's a, it's a good, it's a good sounding board and, you know, different personalities. I, I've, I've been lucky that one thinks it's a bad motion and the other one thing is a good motion. And then we kind of like fight over it basically. Um, so mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's really neat. It's a really, we will uh, hone, hone that argument to a better spot. Exactly. Yeah. And, uh, so, uh, actually one last summer, uh, two of my clerks helped me with a motion to dismiss in federal court that's pending right now. And, um, you know, they, it, it's been, I couldn't have done it without them. That's for sure. If they're listening to this podcast, I'll, I'll send them the link. So thank you. That, yeah, we we need more listeners. Actually, Javier, if you could do that, that would be great. I, I think we um, have, I think we have three listeners. Three listeners, yeah. So, and also, you know, Decker needs Twitter followers. So, um, get him to follow him on Twitter as well. Well, I'm one uh, of. That's how I got invited onto his pod, podcast. I I responded to his to his message. Yeah, he actually Javier's one of the seven people that follow follows the show on Twitter. You know, and that, ladies and gentlemen, if you're listening and you're wondering, like, man, I I really would love to be a guest on a podcast. Take it from Javier. Just reach out to us. That you know, we 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 would love to hear you, hear from you. We'd love to hear what your topic would be, and and if you'd want to be a guest. Um, right. Javier, well, I, you know, yeah, this has uh, been great information, Andrew. Do you have something? Yeah, I was going to say, like with all guests, that we ask them our three questions. Yes. Yeah. So this, Javier, this you know, we are not just, yeah, I love the, these are my favorite part of uh, every interview. Um, we're not just attorneys, you know, we are actually people, um, which people are, I think the general public's pretty surprised about. So we ask everybody are, you know, are the same questions at the end, just to get you get to know you a little better as a person. Uh, so what's your favorite band or musical artist or somebody you're listening to right now? See, my favorite band or musical artist probably depends on my mood. Uh, so, you know, if I if I if I need like a pick me up and uh, or something, I'll listen to Mexican music, uh, mm -hmm. usually Vicente Fernandez. Uh, that's my go to uh, kind of happy music. You know, if I'm getting ready for hearing or trial, I'll usually listen to, you know, uh, hip hop and Meek Mills, probably uh, my favorite. Uh, so those are probably the two things that, that I listen to. That's awesome. Yeah. So what about a favorite book or one you've, you'd recommend to the audience? So I listen to and read stuff that's pretty boring. Uh, <laughs> I usually it's some sort of autobiography or, or legal book. Um, the one that I read recently, there's two of them, but one of them that I read recently that I thought was really neat. It was written by John Gleason, who is a former, uh, judge in the Eastern district of New York. 
and he prosecuted John Gotti, the famous gangster from New York. So he wrote this book about uh, the Gotti prosecutions that happened in, in New York City. Uh, and it's it's really, really interesting. It's almost it's almost like a movie, but it's real life. Um, it, it's a very interesting book. And you kind of see a kind of a glimpse of how, how, you know, high profile complex prosecutions are done. So that's a really, really neat book. And and the other one that I read was it's a bio, autobiography of Sandra Day O'Connor. It's called First. Uh, mm. And it's it's a really good a way of kind of learning more about, you know, she's the first woman on the Supreme Court, uh, but she was also a swing vote. So a very important vote on the Supreme Court. Uh, and it kind of tells you how she navigated through kind of the good old boy club to become, you know, this very influ influential person um, on the Supreme Court. So those are the two books that, that I would, that I would say have are pretty interesting. Sandra O'Connor was a uh, classmate of William Rehnquist, wasn't wasn't she? Yeah, they actually dated. Yeah. They actually Man, can you imagine <laughs> like being in class with those two? Like, golly, that would just be such like an ego killer. I know, and it, yeah, it, <laughs> that's that's a pretty good class. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, pretty good company there. Um, what about like the best piece of advice you've been given, um, either per uh, personally or professionally? Uh, maybe some advice that you give often to to other people. Yeah, so I think we talked about it uh, recently. Professionally, is uh, don't be the angry lawyer. You know, uh, that's that's something that was passed down to me, and uh, you know, not not get too worked up about things. You know, this job is hard enough; uh, it's adversarial by nature. And, and one of the things that 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 I got from your podcast was when Todd DuPont, you guys had Todd DuPont on and he said, you know, be reasonable, but tough. And I think yeah. that's such great advice uh, from him um, because, you know, you can be reasonable and, and work. You know, people want to work with you and and they know, but they also know that you're tough, um, you know, because every now and then you have to stand up to a bully. Uh, but, a, and we get that in, in our profession, but um, like I said, it, our our job is stressful enough just to kind of fight every battle and burn it all down. Uh, you know, some people that's some, some people that's their style and it works for them. Mine is, you know, trying to find reason if, if we can. Right. Yeah. yeah. That, that uh, piece of advice from Todd is like kind of stuck with me over the last couple of years. Yeah, for sure. Very good. Very good. Yeah. Um, so, well, how, go ahead, Decker. Yeah, I was going to ask us how do we how how would somebody find Javier if they're in the uh, Houston area? Yeah, so you can just reach out to me by by email uh, j o m at martinez uh, criminaldefense dot com. Uh, you know, I'll plug this. You know, if I can plug something, uh, you know, I I hire law clerks from any law school. So if there's any young law student that wants to come work in Houston you know, send me an email or if you want some advice on, on law school or criminal defense in general, um, I'm always happy to share whatever knowledge that, that I've gained over the years. Awesome. Awesome. And we will include your email if you don't mind in our show notes. So people can access those, uh, that on, you know, Apple podcast or wherever you get your podcast. And, um, that, that's a great job offer there, uh, to learn from, from one of the, uh, 
the greats in Harris County um, to, to go and, and work and research and write and all that. That's, uh, we appreciate that offer to our listeners, Javier. Sure, thank you. Yeah. So, Andrew Harris, I think this is it for our uh, New Year episode. What a great episode, too. A lot great. of uh, a lot of great nuggets of wisdom in this one. And so to our listeners, we want to tell you Happy New Year. Of course, you can still find us on the web at texascrimdef.com uh, or texascrimdefense.com. And you can find yep. us at Andrew on Texas Criminal Defense on Facebook. We're on Twitter and obviously wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Sounds great, y'all. Well, thanks, and we will see you next time.